fabulous Friends fans and superstars, welcome to Synchronicity Web TV. I am your host, Nadia Shaw, and this is your moment of synchronicity. Well, I'm so excited to celebrate with you today, once again, Zamboni Funk. Now, Zamboni is a brilliant astrologer. I met him a few years back at the NORWAT conference, which takes place in May every single year. And I was just so impressed by his sharing, his dedication. And as soon as I started expanding Synchronicity University, he was one of the people that I was like, I want this guy on board. I want him sharing his astrological brilliance like he already has been online. And so, yeah, you've seen me interview him before, but this time Zamboni is coming to Synchronicity University or coming back to Synchronicity University. But this time it is with his own five-week course, using astrology effectively. What is astrology good for? And I think this is such an incredible contemplation. His five-week course is packed with techniques and things that you can use right away to be a better, more effective astrologer, regardless of your starting place in terms of where you are in terms of your studies. Um, you have just a little bit of time left to choose your tuition rate as low as just $5 a class to learn from the one and only, the brilliant, my friend, Zamboni Funk. Zamboni, thank you for being here once again. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I am so delighted to be here another time. It is, uh, it's really wonderful to be invited in such a way. Well, I love your astrology. I love how you share. Um, it's always insightful. It is always caring, but it's always a little bit fun too, even when you're talking about things that are uh, kind of serious. And I see you out there every day. You're doing daily videos on Instagram, on TikTok as well. And you've been doing that for a while. So what is that journey, that process like for you? How do you feel about what you're putting out there? Yeah, well, it's been six years of dailies now. And so it's been really a lot. It's been, I've been coming a long way for it. So um, I started when uh, Saturn was in Capricorn. I have natal Saturn in Capricorn. And so that was my Saturn return. And um, I, at that moment, that's when I started um, doing regular astrology readings. It was uh, Kira from the astrology who uh, we, we went to a party together and she was like, you should be doing readings. What are you doing? And so I started doing them and, uh, and it was, I was thinking Saturn and Capricorn thoughts, right? So I was thinking very much about like doing a little bit every day for the long term. And so, um, at that time that I had learned about, um, Malcolm Gladwell and 10,000 hours making a master. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do 10,000 astrology readings. And so the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to do at least one every day. And, um, I have done many more than that. And I think that this month, actually, according to my count, I'm going to hit that 10,000 number. So I have done a, a mountain of readings. I think I, I think it's possible that I might be the youngest person to ever achieve 10,000 readings. Um, I don't think it's actually been possible before now that I've been doing uh, readings via an app and stuff like this. So I've, I had months where I was doing like 200 readings a month or something like this, which simply would not have been possible in the year 1500 or something like this. Right. Uh, when you're like using a slide rule to calculate charts and all this kind of thing. So uh, I'm in a very fortunate position to be able to do a lot of readings and to speak to the, you know, the position of the moon and the ways that we can, I've just done a lot of reps. I've made a lot of predictions about days. I've gotten a lot of stuff wrong. And throughout that process, I have learned a lot, not only about um, how to read astrology, but also what it is to be in conversation with a person and how to do a reading in general. And um, I've learned a lot about just um, the the kind of nature of the human condition and what that means relative to the the kinds of information that we that is available from divination from card readings or from astrology readings or or the like when we are new like i'm thinking way back in the day when i was you know really starting out as a full-time astrologer and this is now over 17 years as a full-time astrologer coming up to 18 later this year and in the beginning 
Well, I'll give you another example before I say that what I was going to say right now. I remember once going to a spiritual fair, right? I was in England. I was a student at the time. And they had a lot of people doing like tarot card readings. And so one table had a reading for five pounds. Another was doing it for 20 pounds or 25 pounds, right? And so you had this variety from which to choose. And I remember going to the table with the five pound reading. I have to say it was, you know, the person was at the level where they felt they could um, justify five pounds. The person who was doing 25 pound readings, that person, their energy was so different. They were sitting differently. They were engaging the readings differently and the clients differently. That only comes through experience. And so what I was going to say was at the very beginning of my practice, way, way back in the day, yeah, a part of what we're doing when we're starting out is also gathering experience. Although I'd already been a student of astrology for a really long time by that point, over 10 years at that point, but, and doing chart readings. And yet it started out so slowly for me. Like first I was just doing it for free. I was working at Walmart. I do it behind the register for my coworkers. And then I started doing it more um, with people saying, hey, I'll give you 10 bucks if you do my reading. I'll give you a free this or that if you do my reading. And then from there it grew, right? And it grows and grows with the more experience you get. But yeah, those first readings, I mean, I look back and I go, wow, I said some things that today I would not say, mostly being For really sure. blunt with people, right? Like that's where you re really want to be careful how you're communicating something. There are many ways to say the same thing. Now, all of that is to say, I get it. <laughs> I get it. When you're starting out, you just want to get the experience. You want to read as many charts as possible. As your skills go up and up, you know, things like how much you can charge for consultation rise as well. Um, and also, yeah, you just get better. That's one thing I really like about being an astrologer is that it's one of those careers where um, age and getting older is seen as an asset because it actually is. Yeah, I love it. It's it's not like gymnastics or something like that where you're going to age out at a certain point. Like the the real OGs, people who are 60, 70 years old who have been doing this for, you know, longer than I've been a, alive even, like those people, those are the real ones that you want a reading from or the, those are the ones who are uh the sages, you know, and uh I seek to be one of these one day. Yeah, what a wonderful aim. We're very fortunate to have this incredible practice. Um, and yeah, to become a sage, to move in that direction of owning that sage energy more and more. It's it's exciting to think. Now, personally, between you and me and whatever thousand people are watching this, I will say that uh, I, I remember as a little girl, I always said that I was going to live to 150 years old. Like mm. always. I remember always saying that. And I mean, I have a friend and she's now over 40 and she was telling me that she always thought she was going to be dead by 40. And I'm like, I can't believe it. Like, wow, that's such a weird thing to think. There are people who think that. But for me, it was like, I was always like, yeah, I'm going to live to 150 years old. So imagine how amazing an astrologer I'm going to be at 150. That'll be cool to see. You can do amazing things, I'm sure, right? At <laughs> at age 140 and you still got 10 years to go and you're still you've been doing astrology for over 100 years at that point like that's that's the real deal i uh i probably at that point will not be around to get a reading from you but <laughs> but this video will last and i strongly recommend that those folks get a get a reading from you in uh what is it 21 20 or something like that Something like, yeah, 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 yeah. It'll be something like that. Right? <laughs> exactly. Right. How do you know me? You know me so well. Okay. So let's talk about using astrology effectively. Um, because I think that that's such an interesting consideration. And so, you know, uh, everybody out there, once again, this is actually a five-week course that Zamboni is going to be teaching at Synchronicity University. And as this interview publishes, you have just a little bit of time left to choose your tuition rate, as always, just $5 a class. And it's packed full of the philosophical considerations, but also real techniques that you can use to be a better astrologer, as only Zamboni can teach it. And so how do you understand what it is to use astrology effectively? 
Sure. So, well, the very first thing that we need to do is we need to get an understanding of what astrology is in the first place. And so, you know, we can spend a lot of time thinking with what kinds of questions we can ask in order to get the right or or in order to get intelligible information. But also astrology is by its nature, it's the shape of the universe or it's the shape of the cosmos. It's the shape of the sky, right? And so I often like to think about it as like um, the flow happens in a certain way based on the shape of the vessel, right? And so this is why it's so useful to have a lip on the end of your pitcher, right? So you so it pours in a certain way. And that's because it, like, it pours that way because it is shaped that way. Right. And so when we think about astrophysics, when we look at like literally the shape of the sky at the moment of the nativity, then that shape causes the flow of energy to move in a certain direction. Right. And so that can give us really good insights for the duration of a person's life around what's going to happen and what kind of themes will be around and this kind of thing. Like we can get really good information about. Um, where a person might go and spend most of their time, like what kind of environment that person might spend a lot of time in or something like that. But um, it is, you know, I, throughout my time of doing a lot, like 10,000 readings, you know, I get the reading that I get the most is when is he going to text me back, you know, and it is, and that's a, that's a tough one to answer with astrology. And what I frequently find, you know, I get that question and I'm like, okay, well, let's look at the chart. <clears throat> I, uh, it's unlikely that I'm going to be like Thursday at four, he's going to call you back. Right. Like that's, that's not, I, I'm not, even if I thought that was what was going to happen, I can't say that. Right. <laughs> and so I have, I've had a lot of time to think about, okay, well, what are we going to actually look at here? What, are, what kind of information can astrology give us that will be useful to this person who wants to know when he's going to text back, right? And so I have spent a lot of time looking at the, the astrology chart and then being like, okay, well, so this kind of thing is happening in relationships for you. And so this, this sur- surface level question of like, when is he going to text back? it might belie some other stronger issues that we maybe need to unpack. Like where, what kind of relationships are we generating in this lifetime? And uh, where are we at in the cycle of that? You know, how many times have I had somebody who's 20 years old with Saturn in the seventh and, uh, and looking at like, when is, when is he going to text me back? It's like, I don't know, in like 20 years, you know, (laughs) like, so it's a, it's a situation where, you know, we need to, we can reframe the whole situation and in order to put ourselves into better position to be effective in our lives. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I'm finding it fascinating that people are asking you, when is he going to text back? I mean, that says a lot about the the generational thing and whom it is that you're serving, but also I never even thought to ask my astrology chart that. Really? And so that is wild. I get that question all the time. You've never heard that question before? No, like, when is he going to? No, I've heard like, oh, I met this guy. And what do you think is going to happen with me and the guy or whatever? And then sometimes people will share like their their feelings and their disappointments or whatever. Um, And so Mm -hmm. we can explore the relationship and look at where that person is, which it sounds like what, what you're doing anyways. But isn't it fascinating to consider like, when is dude going to, well, I'm saying dude, right? But when is that person? Well, you said he, so dude, when is dude texting me back? I just never thought of, uh, of looking at that. And it's so interesting. We live in the era of the situationship. We, it's wow. situationships all time, all the time out here. And, uh, and it's frequently, you know, like Gen Z uh, folks who I, who I'm, you know, doing these readings for. And so uh, a lot of situationships, a lot of people who like have been in a situation and it's fun and then he disappears. And so there's a lot of that, that arc happens all the time. Define situationship for those people who maybe have been married for 50 years and they don't really. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. 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 I, uh, (laughs) so a situationship is good, is like, 
is it a relationship or is it not a relationship? It's more of a situation, right? It's a it's a thing where, you know, a lot of times you'll be Oh, maybe on a dating app or something like this, or like you met at some kind of like loosely held event, and then you, you're kind of like courting a little bit. You've been on a date or two, maybe you've slept together once or twice or something like this. And then, um, and, and so often at least one of those people harbors some kind of feelings and hope that hopes that it turns into something more and then frequently the other person is like this is strictly casual this is not going to be like a real big deal and so then there's like a bit of a chase kind of going on there and then the one person's trying to get away and all of this kind of stuff and so it turns into this dynamic where it's uncomfortable for everyone and um and there, it's kind of difficult so there's there's the one side that wants wants it to be a real relationship and then the other person maybe doesn't want that as much or something like this and so that miscommunication or that sort of misdirection of energy turns into what is uh colloquially known as the situationship it sounds exhausting <laughs> yes it is it's extremely exhausting it sounds exhausting <laughs> that's why they come to me i think like, because they're so exhausted yeah, right. Exactly. Like, and so of course the question would be, when is this person going to text me back? Because I mean, yeah, I would, I don't know. I think is it generational? Do you think, or do you think that there could be older people who find themselves in situationships? Okay. We're going way well, off topic. Sorry, everybody, but this is fascinating no, to me as somebody who is <laughs> now single again. But I mean, I am of course dating people who are like my age. So this is like very new to me that there's this whole Gen Z world of situationships that just sounds so exhausting. But yes, tell me, tell me, answer <laughs> the question, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think that um, the it's. I mean, I, I read I read plenty for millennials and um, you know people who are I'm a millennial and and even people who are older than I am, and um, it doesn't necessarily seem like it's limited to. Uh, Gen Z, the the situationship dynamic, especially in the moment of dating apps. I think that once dating apps hit the scene, then uh, the whole dating marketplace really shifted in a major way. And we're in a moment as well where um, gender roles are not as sort of cut and dried as they once had been. And so because there's a little bit more play in there and a little bit less... Um, like concreteness around it, that's where the situation derives from is like the the kind of like, oh, I'm not exactly sure what that person's job is. I don't know what my job is relative, like where, how are we gonna like meet in the middle and what, what are, what do we actually want from this? And like, and the whole sexual dynamic has changed in a really big way in the past, what, 40 years or whatever. And so um, that has left us in a in a historical moment where um, it, we've got people who are not necessarily having trouble getting together and coupling, but who are maybe having more trouble uh, meeting minds in the place where they maybe want to be met or something like this. And so, and there's there's a lot of you know we. We're in a moment as well where uh, the attention economy is so strong, right? It's like all everybody is like looking for attention all the time and looking for the likes and the and follow me on the social media and all all of this, right? And so then that also has ramifications out in where we get our attention in in IRL space as well. And so it like, yeah, there's a it's a very interesting historical moment and. Honestly, it's a pretty good time to be a fortune teller when, you know, when you got you questions like this. call yourself a fortune teller? Yeah, I don't. I, I do. I, I like do to call say astrologer. But why, how do you understand that term? Oh, sure. Well, um, so I don't only do astrology, right? I do card readings as well. And um, so it's, you know, I have made it my job to predict the future. So I do forecasting astrology all the time. I do daily forecasts. I do weekly forecasts. I do, I had been doing a seasonal forecasts for a while. I do yearly forecasts all the time, right? So like, it's my job to predict the future. And um, I, and there's something, you know, I like 
the I feel like there's a renaissance going on for uh, like prophetic tradition. I actually think that Pluto and Aquarius is going to be really, really good for the the prophetic tradition. And so this I've thought a lot about what it means to what prophecy means, you know, like so we can think about prophecy as future predictions that ultimately come true. But then and that's like a pretty surface level read. I think that there's also uh, an important read that is like something about truth telling and truth telling in an uncomfortable space and telling truth to power and this kind of thing. And um, I think that you know, if we think about Pluto and Aquarius as being uh, technologically uh, innovative and moving toward some kind of new way of understanding things. And in fact, Chris Brennan has shown that uh, the development of astrology has seen some very important uh, like moments throughout Pluto and Aquarius periods in history for thousands of years now. And so like the, uh, the oldest uh, horoscope, horoscopes that we have or the, the oldest natal charts that we have record of come from a Pluto and Aquarius period, uh, like six periods ago or something like this. And so um, so we, the, the development of astrology as a method of divination, as a method of uh, telling the future or gaining insight into the life of a person or an empire or a, uh, a venture that has a lot of like the the tech that we use to do those things has frequently come out during Pluto and Aquarius periods. And now that we're in a Pluto and Aquarius period, again, I think it's going to be really good for uh, the development of prophetic craft. And um, so that, so I sort of, you know, so I think that the term astrologer feels um, a little sciency, Right, um, which can be good for legitimacy in uh, in the wider sphere in general. Now, you may have noticed, like uh, in my bio that I send out everywhere and uh, on my website, it says that I'm a professional weirdo, and so I I get into the weirdness of the things, and so and I and on the about page of my website, there's a there's a picture of me in a robe and a pointy wizard hat and all sorts. Of, like I I'm leaning all the way in here. And so, uh, so I like, I, I don't mind being considering myself a fortune teller at all. Um, you know, and if it makes, if it makes the science bros cringe, then good. Wow. Embrace the weirdness. I, I love that. I mean, I do that of course, in my own way. I think that as astrologers, actually, you have to be willing to be a, seen as weird right? Because we are kind of out there. We're not doctors or engineers or, or those things that South Asian parents really want their kids to be, which sure, is what I don't know sure. about, right? But yeah, like we aren't those things. But I think it does involve really being willing to be out there, being willing to be different in some way. And, you know, you said some really fascinating things. And I'm again, I'm sorry to the viewer. I know we're going kind of off topic, but it's so interesting because we were talking about situationships. So I'm going back to that because in my experience, what I have found really fascinating. So, um, yeah, like I, I, on the apps, right? I'm on the apps too. And people I'm dating are like, you know, in their 40s or meeting, right? And in my experience, though, that generation of men, I find that they they really want love. Like it's kind of incredible. Uh, it reveals itself very soon, but there's this sense of really wanting to be known by another person, really wanting to experience love. And um, that doesn't mean that everybody's right for everybody or that these people, just because they want that, it means that they're, you know, actually behaving in a way <laughs> that completely supports that. But mm -hmm. yeah, that's the thing that's been really interesting to me, an observation, especially as of late, that there are so many people and they want genuine human connection with others. And I think that the situationship that, I mean, I'm just thinking about this in the context of Pluto and Aquarius and how that really is going to change our connections to each other and how we're connecting online as well. And mm -hmm. um, the situationship is so, not that it's ambiguous, but it seems to me as somebody not a Gen Zer, it's almost like there's some fear there 
from really committing or really saying, okay, yes, this is my intention or, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. being very clear about what you actually want. I don't know. Have you contemplated any of this as I'm, uh, I'm sure I'm going to do a video at some point where I explore this more, but have you contemplated any of the stuff that I'm sharing with you right now, how Pluto and Aquarius might be part of this or how, um, right now, what might be contributing to this situation ship dynamic, uh, astrologically? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I think ambiguous, uh, is an excellent word to describe, uh, situation ships. And I think the fear component that you mentioned is 100%, uh, in operation, there's a I, I think people who are who find themselves in situationships are frequently afraid of relating to the other person. They're afraid of being vulnerable. They might be even afraid of themselves. Um, and they're of like knowing themselves. And so because of that, then that can drive disconnect and it can drive a, a certain kind of like uh, performative con- component you know you uh, there's a lot of discourse around right now about the cool girl who um is like super down to like be one of the guys or whatever and then like we're gonna hook up and it's gonna be super fine and cool and whatever and then like but then feelings show up at some point but then there's all this pressure to be the cool girl at the same time and you know so that there's a moment that's going on here so i think that pluto and aquarius you know if we think about pluto and aquarius as being associated with like ai and robots and this kind of thing right um and thinking about dating apps and the way that we sort of and not only dating apps right social media in general the the idea of media being the the medium by which we communicate and social just being like the way that we talk to others right the way that we live in society and the the social media are the way that we make that happen. So even Zoom, we're on Zoom right now, is one of these ways, or um, on any of the fa- uh, Facebook or any other social media that you generally think of, as well as dating apps and all of this kind of thing. Um, may- so many of our relationships are mediated by screens, algorithms, and robots. And so um, there's an interesting moment here where, um, you know, also at the same time, then we've got Saturn in Pisces with Neptune, right? And Saturn is going to be hanging out with Neptune for the next four years or something like this because they're with uh, they're with each other in Pisces and then again with each other in Aries after that, right? And so if we think about Saturn as being structures, boundaries, borders, the realness, reality of things, like uh, things that are sort of tangible in some kind of way, and then we think about Neptune as being the dissolution of borders and boundaries and and being very dreamy and imaginative, then it looks very much like what even is real? Like what happened? What is reality at all? How do I come to understand reality? It's very like the matrix. Like you think that uh, just because you can feel and touch it, that, that that it's real. And then you start to be like, wait, what? Maybe it's not, right? And so um, the so those things are happening, that, that Saturn-Neptune moment is happening at the same time that Pluto and Aquarius is sort of like driving um, the the relationships that are mediated mediated by technology and robots. Also, we are in a an era of air right now. So we just moved into an era of air that those eras being two hundred year long periods of Saturn Jupiter conjunctions in the in signs of the same element. So we came out of we just came out of a two hundred year period of um, Saturn Jupiter conjunctions in earth signs where we can expect a kind of tangibility. We can expect things to sort of like want to build on top of each other. And there's, uh, things are very sort of physical and, uh, real in that capacity moving now into the era of air where reality is more determined by air dynamics. We can think about information and intelligence, and we can think about the uh, sort of scattering nature of air rather than consolidating the way that uh, Earth likes to consolidate things and put them into the one spot. 
air instead, we can think about like sand dunes, right? How the sand dunes are shaped the way they're shaped right now, but tomorrow they're going to be shaped completely differently because the wind has been shifting all the things around and the, the landscape changes very quickly and it's very kind of flat the way that like it or um, maybe flat's not the word like uh, strongly distributed scattered right in that in that way and so we're going to be looking at these kinds of dynamics and so we're in a moment where the information landscape is the most important way to determine reality and also the information comes from algorithms and robots so there's a kind of diversion of uh, you know, like this is where we get like alternative facts and this kind of thing, right? And so we get some people who get these facts and other people who get those facts. And more than likely, there's more than two camps, right? There's a lot of different camps and who gets what information is determined by the algorithms and the robots. And those divergent realities turn into this weird, like what even am reality kind of space as described by Saturn and Neptune. So we're, so we're definitely in a moment where it's difficult to even know what's happening here and now. And then that can then cause problems when we come to relationships with other people, especially when once we're relating to people who are uh, coming from a different place and might be in a different information reality than the one that we are in. And so, um, and especially since that different reality can so frequently be caught up in political divisions or whatever else, then there's like high stakes around it. And so there's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of difficulty in figuring out how to come together in ways that are, um, are effective. I was uh, watching something the other day and they were talking about how with apps, people, they fall under the illusion that there are like, endless options, right? Like, sure. yeah. And, and what happens with that is that people become kind of disposable almost. And I mm -hmm. think that that might be part of the, the disillusionment that maybe some people are, are already starting to feel with that because we want, I think it's human nature to want really meaningful connections with other people but if it just feels like, okay, well, this doesn't, whatever's happening with this person doesn't really matter because there's a thousand other people just waiting for me in my phone who can't wait to, to meet me and know me and love me or whatever the case may be, or be in a situationship with me or whatever the case may be, it can feel um, as if we lose something about what it is actually to be. Um, the best of who we are as humanity, which is connect to others. It's almost like we've accepted a facsimile of it, a facsimile mm. of meaningful, um, profound connections, what you learn about yourself when, when somebody else you trust knows you and vice versa, or you work through particular issues, relationships, whatever. Now, that's not to say you should be with somebody you don't want to be with or who's not a match for you or whatever. And or, or you should be with somebody for years and years. It's not to say any of that. Everybody has their own journey. But it is fascinating to me, um, that sense of quickness, right? That sense of, well, mm. it, it's almost like, well, this doesn't really matter because there is something else. Okay, yes, this person is in front of me. And right now we're having this experience. And yet it doesn't really exist because it's not really a relationship. It's actually a situationship as you were describing. Um, what can you say about what you understand about these changing um, relationships and, and the changing ways in which we're understanding our connection and our, our humanity as well? It was interesting because you mentioned earlier, 40 years ago, you said 40 years ago, over the last 40 years, so much has changed in relationships. And as you were talking about the Great Conjunction, I realized, you know, yeah, we had about 200 years of Great Conjunctions in Earth signs, but we had that one in Libra in 1980. And so, wow, if ever there was a symbol or a sign that said relationships are about to become this whole other thing, uh, that would have been a very powerful symbol as well. And so, yeah, as I'm talking about this, like, how do you connect our need um, to connect on a level of humanity and vulnerability versus 
how maybe it's the fear of that, that we almost think that, oh, well, we really don't need that because there's something else next or something else next. Um, what is indicating this astrologically to you? Sure. Well, so uh, it's interesting that you brought up fear there at the end, because um, it wasn't just Jupiter and Saturn there in Libra in 1980, but also Pluto was there in Libra. And so we've got this Pluto situation that is like kind of lurking throughout the whole time, right? And Pluto is very much associated with fear and uh, the things that you uh the place where you fear to tread in your own mind or in in the world at large right it's the place where uh the the dark and scary things are and um and that's a you know if you say it that way then it sounds like oh well you should go and face your fears and whatever but like a lot of times pluto is like legitimately gross like there's actually something gross and terrible in there and there's a reason you don't touch that thing a lot because it gets all over everything and it and then touching it doesn't necessarily help it right and so um there's so there's the a strong component of fear here that is associated with this whole uh relationship situation and you know um there's there's so many people talking about uh, the different uh, ways that relationships uh, are happening in this moment, and I've heard people say that um, the the very best relationships, uh, like marriage relationships that are happening right now, are better than marriage relationships have ever been in the past because there's a there's a certain kind of moment in relationships where we are. Mm -hmm. So there's this uh, this special sort of focus on especially marital relationships. Like if you 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 pay all of your attention to your significant other who turns into your spouse, and then and you sort of like relationship escalator your way to uh, like suburbia or whatever whatever the dream is, right? Um, and so uh, there because of that uh, and the nuclear family, then you like spend all of your time and effort on that one thing. And so that can become a bit of a pressure cooker of a situation, which can even in good situations where you where you like the person and you you like your situation and all this um, situation is a funny word. You like your circumstance, uh, you know, uh, that you're that you're in. You like that situation, but the the pressure of everything can turn into a lot. Right. So the people who are able to work that situation and make it work really well for them, that relationship, it functions more effectively now than has ever happened in the past. But the number of those super effective relationships is small relative to the majority of relationships that can break under or that can uh, inflame under in the pressure cooker environment, right? And so... One thing that I think is interesting here, I think the nuclear family is a is a really uh, important component here. And I think that the nuclear family, which is a recent development, shout out to the Earth era that preceded this uh, air era here, right? It's very much consolidating, right? And the nuclear family is a very, very much a consolidated sort of uh, unit, right? Even the idea of a nucleus to begin with is very much like solid in the center. And then everything else that happens, that, that's all peripheral. And what really matters is the nucleus, right? Um, this is as opposed to um, a tribe or a village, right? It takes a village to raise a child is what is uh, an ancient proverb that predates the nuclear family by a wide margin. Um, we can think about um, ways uh, like we can think about extended family relationships, right? Where we've got like grandparents, great grandparents, uh, and great grandchildren in the home to all together and this kind of thing, right? So there are other ways to navigate family and relationships that aren't the nuclear family. And so if we're thinking about technological innovation and we're thinking about um, this sort of scattering uh, property of the air era, then I think that we're in a moment where it's perhaps as a result of the pressure cooker of both the nuclear family and the dating app, 
Um, and then maybe, you know, we've got Uranus going on here as well, right? Uranus and Taurus, like, and we're, we're coming up on this Jupiter conjunction in Uranus and Taurus. And so that's going to like say yes to the Uranus things, right? And Taurus is going to be like the uh, family or the st stable dynamics, the food, the, sh the shelter, the like uh, regular sta stability stuff, right? And Uranus wants to disrupt that. So Jupiter is going to say yes to disrupting that kind of thing, right? So there might be some kind of uh, left field dynamic that is going to add to the dating apps and the nuclear family and whatever else. But so all of that pressurized might turn into a situation where we think with family structures or think with relationship structures in some kind of new, different, innovative way that could uh, potentially change the shape of families in general. Amazing. It is so interesting to contemplate, especially with the earth energy, as you said, it has to do with that, that sense of structure and stability. And that's a lot of what the family unit has uh, represented, but more and more, especially in the, in the West, the individual is the nucleus of society, not the family, because, mm -hmm. because, and normally that's facilitated by the fact that there are just programs in place to help people uh, to be more independent as they need to be, like like uh, healthcare, uh, like uh, other types of supplements for people, uh, social services for people. And I mean, I, I see it a couple of different ways. I see that it can be isolating if you're living a hyper-individual existence or you're being told that you should be living a hyper-individual existence. Um, as opposed to cultures where we still have that strong earth energy, uh, family unit energy. Yeah, okay, you feel connected to others and you're connected to whether you want to call it uh, a community, but it's like a, a community you didn't necessarily consciously choose. And that's where things can get really tricky because you could be in family dynamics that maybe are not healthy or not good. Uh, and that's putting it lightly, right? Uh, that really are detrimental to you, to your, your peace, your happiness, your thriving. We're all born into different types of family dynamics and we heal what we need to in our own way. And sometimes we get to do that with people in those original dynamics and sometimes not so much. Sometimes it's more about the individual work that we do or the communities that we create outside of that initial uh, family unit or family dynamic. And so it's interesting to think about how, where is it that we can find ways to bring in the best of both and, and lessen the things that maybe are not so, uh, so amazing. I, I, I'm going to give you this example. It's a little bit sad. Uh, it affected me very strongly. Now, this was quite a few years ago. And so I was with somebody uh, for seven years and uh, in Mexico. And so that's a very different culture being born and raised in Canada, uh, but still something kind of familiar because, of course, my, my family is South Asian. So it was kind of interesting. There was the familiarity of um, wanting to keep the family unit strong, caring about the parents, being there for each other, because you don't have like the government to go to, put it that way, right? So you're kind of at the mercy of your family. Um my ex, his he had a friend, a childhood friend, and he was telling me that his friend um, was always, you know, very uh, was kind of effeminate, and and didn't really have support in his um, in his family for that, and especially because his family and the men in particular really emphasized um, machismo, right, and and hyper a uh, type of hyper masculinity, I guess you could describe it. Um, in my experience, though, I have found that to be a mask, right? Like I have found that those people, and especially in those cultures that emphasize the machismo the most, that's really where you find men who have this desire to, to really be vulnerable and a desire to love. The more um, machismo you see in a culture, what that means is the mask. The mask is there. Like it's really needed because... The flip side of that is that much stronger. So it sort of overcompensates. In my experience, I've seen that in my travels. And anyway, so this uh, young man didn't really grow up in an environment that was supportive to that. 
and he, you know, really tried, but what ended up happening, and again, this affected me very deeply because he ended up um, unaliving himself, put it that way, right? I was devastated by this. I was devastated because the thing is that he just didn't have the immediate support and he didn't know how to not be within um, the nucleus of society, which was his family. He didn't know. And his family was not um, supportive or understanding in any way of, of what he was going through within himself. Um, and I think that's devastating. Like that to me was, was such a loss of um, someone who, who had so much love to give and, and it really, I don't think we're born not accepting ourselves and loving ourselves. It's the environments we find ourselves in that say, you're okay, you're not okay, or this about you is good, this about you is bad. And certain things to be bad at, to find ourselves in environments, which is just a judgment, which doesn't even really apply, right? Like what's bad? Well, being a violent person is bad. Let's say that for sure. But just wanting to be true to yourself, wanting love the way it calls you. I don't think that that's anything bad. And, but not knowing that uh, and not having the structure there for that. Um, my hope is that all this Aquarian energy, all the online energy or whatever, it, it helps us to change that. It looks like it's already helping Saturn and Aquarius. Uh, when we experienced that from 2020 um, right into this past year, it was right into 2023, we had that uh, Aquarian energy, that Aquarian vibe. Um, I think that that um, energy sort of began a process of maybe people seeking, understanding the value of community even more, and also expanding their understanding of community online. And, you know, it, it can be a source of love. It can be a source of uh, really a companionship that we're longing for. Sometimes we find it online. And yet, again, going back to my experience uh, with, you know, traveling, I use the dating apps. I get to meet a lot of cool people when I travel. Like some people reach out and say they watch me, which is great. I'll connect with people on the apps. Most of the time, it doesn't really go anywhere. Like I just meet somebody who's cool and I make a friend and we go for a walk and I, I learn something about their country and that's about it. But to really see how much, even though we're more online than ever, and it's just the beginning, there really is this desire very deep within us to, to, to be held, like physically to be held, to feel accepted uh, on that level, whether that's through friendship, whether that's through romance and, and romantic connections. It's almost, I mean, it's kind of incredible that it's almost like there's this overcompensation, right? We're telling ourselves, no, we can be independent. We're totally okay on our own. And, and we can be online and we can have rewarding experiences and find connections. And that is all true. But there's still this human need because we are embodied, we are flesh, um, to connect with people in real life. I don't know how we're going to reconcile that with all this air and fire energy that we are about to dive into in a very big way um, mm -hmm. with Pluto and uh, Uranus, both in air signs. I mean, this these are energies that are that are already starting but we're going to see them take off in 2025 and 2026 in particular um, as all the outer planets just move into uh, fire and air, which is very different than earth and, and water, um, which is a much more intuitive and emotional, which is the water structural, which is the earth. But fire is, is passion and creativity and air. As you said, it's, it's about only what's happening up here. It's not an embodied experience. Um, I just wanted your thoughts on that in the last couple of minutes we have left. I know we didn't really talk about uh, using astrology effectively, but just because the conversation went in these interesting directions. But uh, all I want to say about that is, of course, 
Zamboni is coming to Synchronicity University, and you can see that whatever he's teaching, he's brilliant. Um, and, and he brings this nuance and he brings this overriding perspective, but also something really engaging and personal and relevant and nuanced. And I think all of that, just all of this that we've seen here today just shows um, what a great astrology teacher you actually are. And so you guys who are watching this now, yes, choose your tuition rate for just a little bit of more time at synchronicityuniversity.com. But okay, I threw a lot out there at you. Closing thoughts in the last two minutes that we have. What are your thoughts as I, I shared about what is going to happen to us and relationships and relating and our need for love and acceptance in a world that goes uh, hyper virtual, right? That's mm -hmm. really what we're looking at is a hyper virtual world that's about to really uh, be something we're more immersed in than ever before. Yeah. So, the way that I would probably think about this is, um, so if we think about Pluto and Aquarius trying to Uranus and Gemini, then um, I think it's reasonable to say that that is likely to look like technological innovation, right? And so innovation is to make something new. And so what we're going to be looking at here is likely to be a new way. So... You're right in, in that we have we maintain those same human needs that humans have always had for as long as humans have been humaning, right? And so we continue to have that. And we also live in an unprecedented informational age. And so what does this mean? Well, it means that we're going to have to try some stuff. It means that new things are going to have to take place, right? We're going to be trying ways of communicating, of connecting. Like right now, you and I are thousands of miles apart, and yet we are able to connect over our shared love of astrology and getting old and being the baddest sages that ever lived uh, for 150 years, right? We can, we can connect over that in this new way that is now possible in this information age, right? And so... There's going to be plenty of ways of new styles of connection and communication that are likely to come through throughout this time. Now, the thing about new things is that no one does a good job the first time. Every baby who takes that first step also falls on the second step, right? And so it takes you a while before you can walk all the way across the room without falling down. And so we've got 20 years of Pluto and Aquarius where we're going to be innovating around the Aquarian themes, around the themes of community and togetherness and society at large. And so there are going to be, as we deal with innovations and stuff, there are going to be things that don't work very well and that cause more harm than good and this kind of thing. But this is a process of us figuring out how we can be together in a way that is more effective than what came before. Once again, you guys, synchronicityuniversity.com is where you can learn about Zamboni's course this March uh, 2024 at Synchronicity University. He's taught a couple of single classes in the past. You can get those as add-ons as well for that very low rate of $5 a class. And uh, I just love you. I think you are so brilliant. I loved this conversation. Thank you for it. It has, uh, it has just been one of those things that uh, I feel you, you spoke to something very profound here. And, uh, and I think I'm not the only one who likely uh, feels that I'm sure that there are people out there watching now who feel that as well. So you guys, if you want to connect with Zamboni directly, those links are in the description below, but they're also at synchronicityuniversity.com. Uh, Zamboni, I adore you. I can't wait for your class. Uh, I just love you. You are a wonderful astrologer. So glad to continue Thank working so with you. I'm delighted to be here. So excited to be a part of the whole Synchronicity University and the, the Nadia Shah universe. Thank you so much for putting me yeah. on. <laughs> You're amazing. And thank you everybody out there for watching. Until we connect again, take care. Bye.